back to Sanchiro's Boys. This is your co-host, Tim Amatuli. I'm Chris Cote. And we are back today talking about Kurosawa's second feature, The Most Beautiful, released in 1944. So this is in the era of Kurosawa where he's making propaganda movies for the government. And 1944, the Japanese are still in the midst of fighting in World War II. This is the first of his propaganda films. It's uh, weird that Senshiro Sugata isn't a propaganda film because it's also made in the middle of the war. But I guess he had to prove himself as a competent filmmaker before they put him on propaganda shtick. Yes, he said in his book that you're pretty much only making pure entertainment movies that didn't have anything like, I guess, politically going against them. Or he was making state sanctioned films for explicit propaganda purposes like this one. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Senshiro Sugata part two is big time in this same mode. Yeah, I'm excited for that. To see how they adapt that into a propaganda story. Our loyal himbo is going to walk a dark path. Hell yeah. But they were talking about the most beautiful. Kurosawa, he says that this movie holds a special place in his heart as like one of his early works. This movie is also where Kurosawa met his wife, Yoko Yaguchi, who plays Suji Watanabe, one of the main women in this film. And he said, quote, it was my own story, but followed national policy and had very strong wartime coloring. In it, I wanted to portray women in a group a kind of everyday documentary of their lives. And he said initially he actually got hired by the Navy to make a movie about the zero planes, you know, like the main mm -hmm. planes that were yeah, used yeah. by the Japanese. Wind rises. At this point, you know, like 1943, 1944, the Japanese are pretty decisively losing. No one's really confident that they're going to win. And he said they literally couldn't spare the planes for him to be able to make the movie about the planes. Yeah, that's tough. It's not like a U.S. film where they could just have infinite war, uh, war surplus to make a movie. <laughs> yeah. If you never stop having a war, then you always have wartime profits. Yeah, not the case here, though. That, uh, that is interesting. Also, I guess if it was a Navy film, it would not have been about women. No, this is certainly a complete 180. Yeah, this is not your normal uh, Kurosawa, big beefy Mifune's fighting each other. It was nice to see more female leads in Kurosawa films, especially Entirely female I, leads. It, yeah. It's like he took every potential female lead he could have in the future and put them all in the same movie. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> After this, I mean, I haven't seen the rest of them, but I assume women are suspiciously absent from the remainder of his oeuvre. There, there, there will be films, but once he meets Toshiro Mifune, he never turns back. Yeah, and who would? He typically tends to have more of a overstated cinematic technique and approach to his films. But this one is a lot more grounded, I feel like, a semi-documentary approach to the material. The film feels a little bit more in line with his contemporaries in that way. Yeah, yeah. I was almost thinking, like, some of the like conflicts that we're seeing here remind me of, like, an Ozu film or something like that, where it's just about, like, small interpersonal dramas that are not, you know, significant. There's no fighting or anything. Like, <laughs> it's just... Like, when the girl misses her mother and she can't go home and... Stuff like that. Yeah, also like hanging on certain objects for a little bit, just them alone in the frame felt a little bit like it was inspired by Ozu. Yeah, I like it. Wait, I like how in every episode I'm going to make an Ozu reference. <laughs> and you're like, I've seen Tokyo Story and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, yeah, let's get into the film. The Most Beautiful follows a group of women who live and work in an optics factory during World War II, making lenses for military weapons and vehicles. Wartime demand causes their managers to increase their daily quotas, 100% for men and 50% for women. Tosuru Watanbe, the leader of the women, advocates to her higher-ups that the women can handle more work. Their efficiency fluctuates as different women fight to continue working despite their ailments so that they may do their duty. That's a pretty bare-bones summary of the film, I mean. That is what happens. It's a pretty bare-bones film. There are lots of, yeah, it's a pretty bare-bones film. Like, the efficiency fluctuates covers about an hour and 10 minutes of the an hour and 30 minute film and it's you know someone gets sick things get bad 
they boost morale by playing volleyball, which is cute. And there's like this whole climactic working scene where Tasuru Watanabe needs to work until 3 a.m. and it's killing her. And then she essentially gets spirit bombed by praying from <laughs> the other girls and has the energy to work further. But uh, yeah, that's the film. A pretty thin plot summary and a pretty thin plot. Yeah, it's certainly no hero's journey. It's just it covers the period of time of increased production at this factory. I don't think they even show you the end of the production period. When we say their efficiency fluctuates, we mean it literally because we see the graph of their efficiency constantly overlaid over footage going up and down and up and down. And that's how we know if they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. I was actually surprised by like the paper animated <laughs> efficiency line that you see. I know it reminded me of like Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, well, it reminded me of the SpongeBob Krabby Patty training video. And that's not the only <laughs> thing about this movie that reminded me of that. Because in the beginning, it really feels like this is a training video for how to be a good worker. But it, it develops from there. But I was at the beginning, I was like, oh, this is going to be rough. But Kurosawa, I think, finds a way to make it cinematically bearable. Yeah, and just because it's a more understated plot doesn't mean that there isn't anything going on. Knowing that this is a propaganda movie, we're really using the characters more to display messages rather than to watch them go through arcs. Mm -hmm. I felt like the messages were pretty clear and... I think distinctly Japanese as well. Yeah, I actually had a lot of thoughts during this film. Maybe something I was going to get into later, but my big question during this film is, does this actually reflect a social reality in Japan? Do girls like this and factories like this actually work this hard? Or is this aspirational filmmaking that's trying to like model good behavior? Or is it like a bit of both? Because my thought was, if you showed this film, or if you made this film with American teenagers in the 1990s or 2000s when I grew up, they'd be like, that's fake. No one would ever think that way. So <laughs> it was hard for me to tell, like, to what extent this extra reflects remarkable work ethic. The thing that's interesting with the making of this is that Kurosawa actually made these women live like this. They, <laughs> oh. like, actually, yeah, they actually, like, all lived in this factory and learned how to do this stuff to a degree. He took really theatrical actresses and kind of wore them down to being more amateurish. Yeah. What's crazy is that a lot of these women actually stopped being actresses. And he's like, I I don't know if that's because I was super harsh or if they just decided that acting wasn't really for them anymore because they got kind of a sense of normal life again for a lot of people. They got more of like a mid-class kind of feel for the first time in a long time. And he said it, he thinks it's a bit of both. Why didn't he just hire amateurs if he was going <laughs> to work this woman to the bone? I think because I think all the amateurs were actually working in real factories. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I wonder if they actually made any usable lenses during the course of this film. I have no idea. I mean, that, that would actually be really cool if they like shot on lenses that they made in this oh, optics factory. <laughs> that was another thing I thought. I was like, did Kurosawa choose a lens factory out of like, could he not help himself? Because that's like the closest thing to filmmaking that he can get. Who knows? But um, he did say that this is his own creation. You know, like he came up with the story himself. It was just that he had to have these certain themes in it. But he was able to write this like this is his own baby, as you know, a lot of his films are. In terms of the messages that I took away for this, I felt like he was trying to say the government or your workers care about the workers. Yeah. Because we see like a pretty good relationship with the women and the higher ups, especially for them advocating that they can do more, which is also a nice surprise because you think at first they say, oh, the women have to do more and all the women seem like they're complaining. And it's like, oh, they must be complaining that they have to do more. I would be if I was working in a factory. And then they're like, we're upset because you think we could only do 50% more of the work. We think we could do at least two thirds. It's not not equal. To I saw the men. that coming from the moment they announced it. The moment they announced men 100%, women 50%. I was like, all the women are going to say we can do 100. We can do 75. Like, please let us do more. Yeah, but it, was, it wasn't 100. It was, like, it was, the, it was insane. It wasn't 100. They were like, wait. <laughs> it was only actually like 15% more. Yeah, hardly anymore. Like, 
Well, we can do two thirds. Well, it's interesting because they're not like completely flawless workers. In their hearts, they are, but they are available to like disease and to anger and exhaustion. In their hearts, they are just absolute angel workers. They are the government's ideal workers, definitely. Yeah. And I think what's cool is wartime struggle is individualized in them. They're all taking it very, very personally. I need to do my work because these people need me specifically for it. And I'm sick. Please don't send me home. I really want to work anywhere else in America getting sick. Well, first of all, you probably go into poverty. But also you're like, oh, thank God I can like, you know, like think about it in school. You're like, oh, great. I could go home. These women are like, please don't tell anyone that I'm sick so I can keep working. Watanabe goes through this whole crazy crisis looking for one warped lens that she made. She's like, this could literally cost a soldier his life because of my mistake and everything. And they're like, you really got to calm down. Like this lens is going to go through a lot more checks before it ever makes it. Like if there's a problem, we'll see it. And she's like, no, I got to do this. The commitment to the war is brought down to a very civilian level. Yeah, that's a classic propaganda tactic of internalizing what you do is the whole war effort. You are the most important thing. So you can't mess up or like you have to be working your hardest. It's like a very normal tool of propaganda, but like it was done well here. Yeah, and you should want to do more. I thought it was funny. The girls were literally like, I'm so sorry. I've messed up. Let me try harder. And the bosses are like, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> like, there are several occasions in which the bosses are like, we really don't mind. You can take a break. And the girls are like, no, I need to do this. Like, this is my duty. They were a little bit like us watching it, being like, you guys are doing great. Sometimes they're having production go down. And it's like, okay, you guys got to step up a little bit. Someone got injured, so everyone needs to pick up the slack that that person is leaving behind for a while. But That's all normal. When someone makes like an honest mistake, they're like, listen, it's really okay. We don't want you to leave. We want you to be here. But if it's not safe for you or safe for the merchandise, you gotta go. Yeah, it was surprisingly human in that regard. Which I definitely think is a Kurosawa touch. I guess there's like, I guess, two ways that you can encourage productivity. You can be like, if you mess up, you die. <laughs> or you, it can be like, you know, do your hardest. And then they kind of internalize the logic of it. If you mess up, you die. And then their supervisors weren't like that. Yeah, it doesn't foster fear from their higher ups. It's the exact opposite. They're looked down upon in a positive light and they look up to them. The women in this factory look up to Watanabe as their sort of mentor. It was also surprisingly non-competitive. It was very much so like everyone's competing with themselves to do their best. There was no, nothing like I'm doing more than you or whatever. And there was at one point like two women get in a fight where someone's like, you should be working harder, but it's not like I'm doing more than you. I was surprised by like how non-competitive it was. It's a pretty distinctly Japanese thing of finding solace and working together in a group to get something done in a culture that doesn't really focus on individuality quite as hard. But that is specifically Kurosawa's kind of approach with his humanism. OK, he is kind of getting the best of both worlds in this film, I feel like, because he's showing that these people have their own individual drive, but it's together that they actually start to accomplish a lot. And I think if the film had a little bit more focus on plot, I feel like we would have seen more of that individual conflict between people. I thought we were getting a battle of the sexes movie. Nope. Men are almost entirely absent from this film, except for Watanabe, who seems to like work the only male job in the factory where she sits in a line of men and then is looking at lenses at the end. But yeah, the only men are at the very, very top that are, you know, just kind of checking in on them periodically or scolding them when their production is too low. 
uh, our second appearance of Takashi Shimura, head of the plant. I noticed that. He looked real good in this film. It's funny that his last name will be Watanabe in Ikiru years later. That was, we're seeing the first little seedling of that idea kind of coming up in this film. The idea of naming your character Watanabe. And also a few of Kurosawa's techniques that I didn't really notice as much in Sugata are a little bit more visible here. Specifically, the movement of groups is a thing that he uses to really emphasize emotions. Yeah, when you have a cast of 50 women, you have to be really good at blocking all these people into one thing. He does a great job with it. Every time that they really feel a shock, everyone goes silent. I feel like the moment really rings a lot harder than it normally would if it was just like a small group of people. Also, I, I, I recall this from Every Frame of Painting, where he said that his movies are typically about groups of people that either come together or split apart. And here is like a, a kind of a group of, because there's not much conflict, it's like a group of people that are already together and then they continue to come together. Hold, holding themselves together more. If only I could be so lucky. Oh, to be a woman working in a factory in 1944 Japan with my, all my friends. Yeah, n never, never thought that that would be what I would strive for. But honestly, they make it look really great. So uh, in terms of propaganda, even though it's upholding a evil imperialist regime nah. by a very bad man, it still looks pretty dope. Yeah, in terms of propaganda, this is not nearly as repulsive as it could have been. It's no Japanese triumph of the will. I'm sure an American equivalent would have been just so much more gross. And in terms of uh, your favorite shot, what's to your liking? My favorite shot is it's at night in the soil garden. One of the girls sneaks out of her dormitory and walks up to look at the moon. And she's like trying to repent for getting in an argument with some other girl. And it causes this whole conflict. I mean, it's almost sappy, but it's just like a, a beautiful shot of this woman and the moon's right up behind her. And then he actually like slightly shifts angles. So she's perfectly centered and the moon's right above her off to the right. But it's, it's very well framed. It's just like a beautiful nighttime shot. Like a, ni a nice little backlight silhouette and stuff like a little bit Germanish. Yeah, it was it was kind of like expressionistic almost. Just like a little pop of that night. It was yeah, it was beautiful. And that was one that stood out to me. It was like, nice. And my favorite was early on when Watanabe is talking to the group of women in a cafeteria about the quota and everything and what they have to do. She says something and everyone suddenly stops talking and turns to her. And it's like this huge rush from loudness to silence. And it really sells that what she just said was important. And I think that that kind of group technique is something that Kurosawa uses a lot later on. And so I felt like that was the first time that we've really seen him hit that kind of mark. And I really liked it. Like I thought that, that was a really efficient effective method that he would take note of later. I like that you picked that shot. Do you know the uh, British Sight and Sound top 100 or top 10 poll for best movies of all time? They have a director's list and a critic's list, and you can notice different movies on each list. You very much so pick like a director thing. You're like, wow, I'm impressed with his group work with these actors. That's like something you could probably imagine how difficult that would be. Whereas to me, like that just kind of passed by without remark. But then I, I saw the beautiful frame shot and I was like, oh, that's very good. That's probably an easy, easy shot to set up. No, I thought, no, I think that's nice. Yeah, it's just an efficient use of the basics. Yeah, solid filmmaking. Any other uh, real criticisms of this movie that you have? I found it a lot more pleasant than I thought it would. I mean, yeah, it's a propaganda film. The opening really feels like an instructional video. Like, I was very worried in the beginning. I was like, this is going to be completely soulless. They managed to get some soul in. I actually got emotional at one point when they're reading the poem over the soil garden, and then it cuts back to shots of the hometown that you'll soon find out is one of the characters, home, the girl that goes back. It was kind of emotional. I was like, oh, this is really nicely done. This poem mixed with this imagery. I... I it wasn't a great film because I just don't think it could have been under the circumstances, but it was fine. Yeah, I think that the film is fine. It doesn't have anything that's super special. And I don't think unless you're really into Kurosawa, you'd ever really have to check it out. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend anyone watch this. 
calling it the most beautiful, I would not call it the most beautiful of Kurosawa's movies. I don't even know what the most beautiful was really supposed to be by the end of this I movie. I think it's just the most beautiful is the spirit of these hardworking young women who are trying so hard to build these lenses. <laughs> That's definitely what I think it's supposed to refer to. But yeah, I mean, I'll probably give this like a six out of ten or something. Yeah. It's good, but it's nothing really special. I think it's nice to just see, like, even in his early years, he's still clearly a very competent, strong filmmaker who's doing a lot with very little. Yeah, he doesn't miss. The film feels very real. Like he said, he kind of taking this more documentary approach. You kind of forget that they're actresses at all. They really do feel like we're just watching these workers do their thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I was to the point where I was like, is this really what it's like? This is believable as factory workers. Like, it's, I really didn't think they were all actresses. When you said like theatrical actresses, I thought he just, you know, more or less found these women <laughs> or maybe not like the, maybe like the lead for professional actresses. But no. Yes. Kurosawa's binder full of women. Yeah. I was like, this is almost like neorealist in nature. Shot on location, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it does have that feel. Definitely. Yeah, that's about it. So we will be back next week with more propaganda for one of Kurosawa's only two sequels, Sanshiro Sugata Part 2, back to our favorite himbo. Yes, oh man, I'm so excited to see that big dumb beefy boy <laughs> and everything he has to say in this uh, propaganda film. I doubt he's going to say much. He's not really one for words. That's true. Well, I'm excited to see him be big dumb and beefy. I'm excited to check it out again. I've seen it once and... Uh, I didn't remember it being great, but I do remember having a nice fight. Yeah. So that's always something to look forward to. Basically, uh, you can count on Kurosawa to bring that in. Even at his worst, he's still the best. Uh, we'll find more about that next week. See you next time. Bye.